Welcome to McChesney Unchained, a new show on the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Before we jump into it, we want you to know that this is a little different than our other shows. Matt McChesney is going to give you an uncensored take on what's going on in the football world, and if you have kids around, you may want to listen to this at another time. McChesney's opinions do not represent those of BSN Denver, but they are real, and they come from a CU legend who spent six years battling in the NFL trenches. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. Go. And we roll. Episode 10 of McChesney Unchained. Coming to you from 6-0 Studios here at 6-0 Strength and Fitness. Presented by the BSN Denver Podcast Network, bsndenver.com. Big shout out to the home base. My name is Matt McChesney, the host of McChesney Unchained. Welcome to the show. Episode 10 is going to rock. We've got great interviews with the University of Colorado offensive coordinator and O-line coach, Mr. Clayton Adams, is going to be coming to you here on McChesney Unchained. We're going to bring you Mr. Brady Quinn, former first-rounder from Notre Dame. Guy played with here with the Denver Broncos back in the day, and now he is a color commentator for Fox Sports. He will be calling CUUSC uh, from the Coliseum Saturday night, so BQ is going to join us here as well to talk about that game and college football a little bit and his outstanding foundation, the third, the third and goal foundation. So we'll talk about that a little bit as well. We have a lot to discuss here on McChesney Unchained on episode 10 on the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Remember, you can follow the show uh, at BSN Unchained on Twitter and then follow myself at 60Strength on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, make sure you download the show on iTunes and it will you know, allow you to subscribe, and then every time there's a new show, it'll pop up, and you won't miss anything here on McChesney Unchained. Uh, some of the past interviews we've had have been awesome as well. We've had uh, Darren Shiverini on. Phil Lindsay has been in studio. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury, the head coach of Texas Tech, they got a huge win last night in Dallas over TCU on ESPN. Great win by Coach uh, Kingsbury down there. Um, let's see, who else have we had? Uh, the the list is is extensive. Joel Clatt has joined us. We'll have uh, Jake the Snake Plumber next week uh, on the show. So go on, check out the past shows, uh, and it'll give you a little bit of frame of reference on how we do things here on McChesney Unchained. All right, let's roll right off the bat. Uh, the college football preview here. Uh, I know there's not a lot of people talking college football out there, so we do here on McChesney Unchained. College football preview. Like I said, Texas Tech went into TCU last night and got a huge W. Um, that's a massive win for Coach Kingsbury and, and that Red Raider squad. They have really, really been impressing the hell out of me lately. I mean, the the the, the loss to West Virginia at home, it, it sucks. But I think that Coach Kingsbury is a really good fit at, at, at Tech, obviously. Um, they love him down there, and he's done a great job. Uh, you know, I've got a, Ethan Frazier, one of my outstanding linebackers here that play at Thunder Ridge. He's going to go down and visit Texas Tech next week. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Uh, it's good to see them having success. So Tech beats TCU last night. Uh, big, big, big-time victory for them. Um, you know, that's not an easy place to go win by any means. So huge victory for Kingsbury and his squad. Um, so good for them. All right, next game that we're going to preview here, uh, Georgia and LSU. Now, LSU took their first L last week, uh, losing to Florida. 
Um, the SEC, they cannibalize each other kind of, so it, it, it is what it is. Um, UGA eventually is going to run into a buzzsaw. Uh, speaking of offers, Alex Padilla, the quarterback from Cherry Creek, just got offered by Georgia the other day, a, a kid that I worked with for a very long time in here uh, at 6-0 and watched him get his first offer and commit to Iowa, and now Georgia's getting involved. So hats off to Alex Padilla. Great job there, young man, getting that offer. Uh, you deserve it. Uh, it's too bad that CU didn't recruit that kid because he is the cream of the crop in Colorado, in my opinion. Ty Evans is a good player, but Padilla is his next level as, as a senior. That's my opinion, and I'm sticking by it. Uh, so congratulations there. Uh, a great, great offer for you. Uh, Georgia eventually is going to stub their toe, in my opinion. They've got a lot of youth. I don't think that they're going to end up in the playoff just because of that. They're, the buzzsaw, the SEC, is going to eat them eventually. I wouldn't be surprised if, if LSU is that downfall because they're going to try and get right uh, after the, the Florida loss. George has had some up-and-down circumstances where if the team was better, they were playing, they'd probably get beat. And this is my this is my upset pick of the week, honestly. And I know LSU's 13th and Georgia's second, but I think that LSU beats Georgia and then the – you know, there's going to be a lot of, of of people in the SEC clamoring for, hey, can we get three teams in the playoff if they all have one loss? And, you know, an undefeated team from this conference isn't better than a one-loss team from the SEC, so on and so forth. So I think LSU beats UGA uh, this weekend. It's going to be a hell of a contest, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, the Pac-12 game of the week, other than CU and SC, in my opinion, is Washington and Oregon. Uh, Oregon could easily be undefeated. They choked away the Stanford win. We've talked about that here on McChesney Unchained extensively. Washington is real. They have the number one defense in the country. The Buffs travel to Seattle next week to play the Huskies. Uh, Chris Peterson has them rolling. This is a huge game in the North because, honestly, it could determine who wins the North at this point. Stanford's so up and down. I don't know, you know. What, what they're going to be like moving forward. Utah hammered them. Stanford loses another game in conference, and their chances of playing in the title game are over. Um, they still have to play Washington as well, so we'll see. This is an awesome opportunity for Oregon to go out and try and change the, the, the past here a little bit. Washington's been mopping them up for the last couple of years since Oregon lost Chip Kelly and Washington got Chris Peterson and the kind of the, the tide has turned there in that rivalry. There's no love loss in this game whatsoever. So I think Washington beats Oregon, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is a real high-scoring game and, and Oregon brings everything they have. Uh, this is a great test for Washington's defense to see if, you know, that 11, 12 points they're giving up a game can hold up. I mean, if they can go out and hold, uh, you know, Oregon to a, a low point total and a low yardage total and force some turnovers, then, you know, you got to start really looking at Washington as one of these scary-ass teams you just don't want to see down the road. You know, their only loss is to Auburn at the beginning of the season, so we'll see what happens there. Washington's a damn good football team with the number one ranked defense in the country, so keep your eye on the Huskies. That's going to be a hell of a game. Uh, Wisconsin and Michigan, um, 15th against 12. This is going to be a smash-mouth, old-school, you know, Big Ten football game. Washington, or Washington, Wisconsin loves to pound the rock. The multiple tight ends and a fullback on the field. Michigan, you know, if I say Washington's the number one defense in the country, there's a bunch of people in big blue country that are going to stand here and be like, hey, you're, you're crazy. I think Michigan might be the best defense in the country. Uh, they've got some dudes uh, all over the place for, for Michigan. Um, this is a really good old-school smash-mouth football game. Uh, I'm going to take big blue in it. Uh, I think Wisconsin's a little overrated. 
So, you know, Michigan, I, I want Michigan to win out because I really want to see Michigan and Ohio State, two top five teams ranked at the beginning of, or the end of the year to go out and, and fight for the Big Ten East crown. Uh, that's going to be one hell of a football game if things end up that way, you know, come Thanksgiving time. And that's the way it should be. Michigan, Ohio State to see who represents the Eastern Division in the Big Ten title game. Um, and I, I foresee that happening, a one-loss Michigan team and probably an undefeated Ohio State at team at that point for all the marbles so that that's the beauty of college football and the beauty of the rivalry games all right straight into this um cu and usc before i start talking about this and we bring you coach adams later in the show uh, we're going to bring you the interview from brady quinn all right now bq is a color commentator for fox sports uh, you can follow him at third underscore goal on twitter uh, and and check out his foundation is doing a lot of a lot of good out there in the world uh, Brady's a great color, color commentator, so make sure that you uh, tune into the game on Saturday night and and get some some truth from uh, from BQ. So this is our interview here on McChesney Unchained uh, with Mr. Brady Quinn, who's going to be calling the game on Saturday. See you against USC. So here you go, Brady Quinn on McChesney Unchained. And it is our pleasure here on McChesney Unchained on the BSN Denver Podcast Network to bring in my past teammate and past first round pick from Notre Dame and right now doing color commentary on Fox Sports and he'll be calling the Colorado and USC contest on Saturday night. Mr. Brady Quinn joins us here on McChesney Unchanged. BQ, what's up brother? Not much, McChesney. Good to be hearing from you, man. How you been? I'm damn good, brother. I can't, I can't uh, complain at all. I know you're living uh, the, the good life all quarterbacks do. Speaking of quarterbacks, all right, right off the bat, we'll jump straight into it as you're calling the game on Saturday night. Um, Steven Montez, lead, leading the country in uh, completion percentage, right up there in efficiency. He's got weapons everywhere. Uh, is this kid real? And do you like what you're seeing out of number 12? Yeah, you know, I think you got to like what you're seeing so far this year. Um, and, and, the, and the stats are, um, you know, in, in some ways they seemed a little bit skewed. You know, I like to always break down quarterbacks and, and do a, a throw chart so we actually can see, all right, how many throws are they actually throwing over the line of scrimmage, downfield, you know, plus 20 yards and all that. And I think the thing that you come away with uh, impressed by for Steven Montez is just his completion percentage you know, downfield 20-plus yards is as good as anyone in the country. Um, and, and you know, again, having a guy like LaVisca Chenault has a lot to do with that. Um, but, you know, he's a good deep ball thrower. I think he, you know, takes advantage of the fact that about 40% of his throws are behind the line of scrimmage, but he's completing 92% of his passes, which means, you know, he, he's a very accurate quarterback. Uh, and that kind of showcases out throughout the year. Yeah, I think that the hardest question to answer about Steven Montez is, is whether or not they've been tested this year. You know, when you look at their schedule, uh, their opponents are six and twenty-one on the year. And, and it, but but the good thing is the you know he came off one of his better games versus their most difficult opponent last week in Arizona State. So you know all signs are pointing in the right direction. But there's no doubt about it, USC on the road. This will be their greatest challenge that they're going to face this year. And speaking with uh, the great Brady Quinn here on McChesney Unchained, past teammate of mine, first-round quarterback out of Notre Dame, and calling the game this eve, uh, this Saturday on Fox Sports One from the Coliseum, uh, Buffaloes and Trojans. So we'll go full circle here. In Notre Dame, USC, hated rivalry. Uh, you got you played them the, every year that you were at Notre Dame. What would you say to Coach Mack at CU and that group? 
of men walking into the Coliseum on how to prepare for this contest mentally uh, because the, the Coliseum is a daunting place. I went there and played there in 2000, and it's, it's unlike anything else. Yeah, you know, I didn't have any success there during my time playing against them. You know, and, and, but I would say this, you know, that era, that team at USC was far different than what you have now. You know, I, I think this team is is ripe to be able to get knocked off. They've already lost twice this season. There's some good examples of, of how that happened. Um, but it starts up at the line of scrimmage, you know, up front, something you all you, you know all too well. You know, this USC team, to me, seems vulnerable in that respect. You know, I watched Stanford manhandle them on both sides of the ball earlier this year in a loss on the road. Um, so I think if you can get pressure on JT Daniels and force him to make mistakes, which he did in that game through two interceptions, it starts there. And then you just got to be able to protect Steven Montez and provide some balance to the running game. Uh, if, you, if you don't allow the USC edge you know, rushers, in particular Porter Gustin, to get into the face of Steven Montez and give him a little bit of time, I think a guy like LaVisca Chenault can get open. I think Tony Brown can separate, especially when he's isolated. Uh, Katie Nixon can play a part as well. So, you know, I, I think they've got the speed and the talent on the outside to match up with USC. Uh, Steven Montez just needs the time. And then he's got to be smart with his decision-making. You know, like Clancy Pendergast, who's, who's got an NFL-style background, he's more of an NFL-style defensive coordinator. He's going to mix up a lot of different looks. Uh, he plays a that a little bit different than what you're accustomed to in college football. So he's going to have to be good with his eye discipline and making sure he's looking in the right spot and knows where he's going with the football. Uh, BQ, talk about Chanel real quick. I mean, Leviscus is the Colorado Buffalo offense. Is that a good thing to be that dependent on one guy, or or is he just that good? It's both. Um, I, I think, you know, you, you look at he's, he's 44% of Montez's completions this year. He's oh my gosh. Of their total offense. Wow. That's how, I mean, he's leading the country for receptions per game. He is an absolute stud. Um, so he is that good. Uh, I think the things that stick out when you watch him are he's got great hands. It seems like wherever the ball is thrown, he's going to pluck it out of the air. And, you know, he's, he's fast enough. He doesn't seem like the fastest guy, but I don't see him really getting caught. And then he's, he's kind of elusive when he gets down the open field. And then once he gets the ball in his hands, he's almost like a running back. He kind of reminds me of DJ Moore, who was a first-round pick out of Maryland uh, last year. Uh, I mean, maybe farther than him, but that's what he kind of reminds me of. Uh, but, you know, they, they use him in short yardage and third down and uh, goal line in the Wildcat package, and he's incredibly productive there, too. So, you know, that's going to be the biggest thing is Clancy Pendergast for USC is going to try to stop Chenault wherever he's at, and he's going to have a game that's The question is – can Darren Shiverini come up with some adjustments? And then, you know, what? who else can step up? You know, the guys I mentioned before, Nixon, Brown, um, Winfrey, I mean, whoever else it is, McMillian's going to have to have a big game, too, running the football. Um, but whoever it is stepping up, I mean, those guys are going to have to carry up the load at some point in this game. Uh, Brady Quinn joins us here on McChesney Unchained. Brady uh, has got the call this uh, or this uh, coming weekend on Saturday night when CU visits USC in the Coliseum on Fox Sports 1. So make sure that you uh, tune in and support the Colorado Buffaloes and listen to a great call by BQ. Uh, Brady, uh, your foundation's awesome, the, uh, the Third and Goal Foundation. Talk a little bit about what it is and, and how people can help. And then everybody make sure that they follow Brady on Twitter at third underscore goal. So I'll give you the floor. Talk about your foundation a little bit before we get you out of here, homie. Yeah, so this is how it started. Basically, backgrounds with the Denver Broncos and we teammates. Um, you know, a couple of wounded warriors had visited training camp, and I, I left there really 
taken back by the, their stories and some of the adversity they threw and the injuries that they sustained. So I, I called my dad, who's a former Marine in Vietnam, and, and talked to him about what we could do to help. And we basically came up with an idea to help make homes handicap accessible for those veterans who are wounded in combat and coming back from overseas. So we started the Third and Goal Foundation um, back in, in 2010, and it's now been around for eight years. And we, we've slowly continued to kind of build and grow and um, continue to do more and more home renovations as long as put on educational programs um, for those active service uh, members coming back uh, from from their service who want to continue ed- education, start their education or finish their education. So um, we've, we've kind of got two different platforms that we're working on right now. Um, but, you know, we're, we're proud of what we've been able to accomplish. And uh, we couldn't think of a greater cause, obviously, helping to support our veterans. And you can find out more information at 3ng.com. It's 3 so everybody make sure you check that out and uh, support a great cause the third and goal foundation uh, mr brady quinn thank you so much brother for coming on the show and talking shop c-u-u-s-c uh, make sure everybody tunes in saturday night uh, it's going to be on at se- uh, 8 30 mountain that is 8 30 7 30 pacific uh, 10 30 on the east coast uh, that's insanity uh, but bq will be on the call on fox sports one make sure you check it out uh, thanks bq uh, we'll get you again down the road here brother and uh, go buffs yeah i hope so maybe next week we'll have to see if the buffs win amen to that and that was our interview with the great brady quinn here on mcchesney unchained on the bsn denver podcast network remember that brady is going to be calling the contest on fox sports one on saturday night buffs and trojans okay before we bring you coach adams here uh to kind of kind of uh, seal this up, I, I'm going to talk about CU-USC. Now, look, CU's never beaten SC. Uh, and when I was there at CU, we lost to them in 2017-14 in the Coliseum on a couple missed kicks by us. And then in 2003, they walked into Folsom with one of the best uh, college teams I've ever seen and just annihilated us. CU's never beaten this football team, but they've had them on the ropes for three years in a row now. Uh, you'll hear Coach Adams elaborate on that a little bit. Two years ago in the Coliseum, you know, the trick play to Phil Lindsay for six, that was huge, but they ended up losing by three. Last year, USC jumped on them in, the, in, in Folsom, but CU stormed back and lost by three. This is a game where the entire fucking country doesn't think CU has a shot. USC is a full touchdown uh, uh, favorite in the Coliseum over CU, and the disrespect is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. The University of Colorado... A Pac-12 South team with national titles, you know, on on, on their uh, stadium wall. Okay, all that all that uh, pride and prestige and how badass of a place it is to play football there. The national media and the coaches are totally disrespecting CU. If USC was undefeated, they'd be in the top ten easy. They might be in the top five. CU is undefeated. I understand they haven't their their record of their opponents isn't very good, but their opponents are pretty damn good. You can't help the fact that they can't play. They've beaten quality programs, maybe not good teams this year, but quality programs, undefeated and disrespected. And honestly, I know that Coach Shiv says a lot to, uh, you know, a, a lot to do uh, or a lot to prove and nothing to say. Shh. And I'm with that. I'm with it. But the team needs to know how disrespected they are. And I, I know that they're going to use that as fuel. Uh, USC, if they take the CU bus lightly, CU is going to walk into the Coliseum and slap their asses around. And hopefully that's what they do. This is a massive, massive contest for Nick Fisher and Evan Worthington, 7-6. and six. Uh, I, I love those kids. They play their asses off. They are the, the consummate 
CU Buffs, hard-hitting, you know, no-bullshit kind of kids. Fisher's a captain. They are going to have a huge, huge role in this game, not only in run support, but also making sure we don't get beat over the top on those, you know, long pass plays down the field you know USC wants to run. So Fisher and Worthington are huge points uh, in this game for us to be successful. The three linebackers, all right? Drew Lewis, number 20, Landman, and Gamboa. They are going to be so integral in, in, in this game and being successful in the Coliseum. They've got to stop the run game. If we can't stop the run with six or seven guys up front, it's going to be really hard for us to be successful because of the amount of athletes they have uh, in the receiving core. So we've got to be able to play man coverage and throw in some zone concepts to confuse a young quarterback. We've got to be able to rush the quarterback and hit him in the mouth. Mustafa Johnson, number 34, build on last week. This is national TV in L.A. This is an opportunity for you to go out and get your motherfucking movie check. There's going to be an NFL scouts watching left and right, 3-4, go ball, because the rest of that defensive line is following you right now, bro, and it's awesome to see. Javier Edwards, you've done nothing but gotten better and better and better and better. You lost your weight. You've gotten better each week. I love how violent you are at the point of attack right now. Keep it up, 3-3. 3-3 and 3-4 are going to have to have huge games in this ballgame for CU to have any chance of winning in the Coliseum. I think it's all about defense. Our offense is sexy, but this is the game where CU's defense stands up, stands shoulder to fucking shoulder, and goes out there and takes the takes USC's lunch money. If you walk in there expecting SC to just roll over because they have two losses, you're crazy. Listen to what Brady Quinn had to say about how hard it is to win in the Coliseum. He went to Notre Dame. Coach Adams is going to talk about what they have to do here on the interview when it comes up here shortly. The offense is sexy. Montez, 75% passer. Awesome. Number one in the country. LaVisca Chennault, maybe you know, might win the Heisman down the road if he keeps this up. You know that they're going to run the offense through, too. There's going to be some other guys that step up in this game, though. You know that Clay Helton and USC are going to try and take LaVisca's away. They're going to try and pressure Montez. So this game is one in the trench. Defensively, Mustafa Johnson, Javier Edwards, Landman, Lewis, Uh, and Gamboa, Fisher, and Worthington. They've got to be able to control everything in the middle of the field and just beat the shit out of USC up front and and create turnovers and be physical in the run game, force the young quarterback to throw the ball 40 times, and you'll win. Offensively, Hagler, Lanat, all those boys, Sherman, Go out there and fucking get nasty with USC. Go beat that ass. Move the rock down the field. The same continuity and communication that we saw last week when they were assaulting Arizona State in the run game, do it again and do it harder and do it more viciously and understand that everybody in the country doesn't think you can win. The only people on your your side is Buffalo Nation behind you, shoulder to shoulder, and we believe in you. What you put on tape up to this point, winning against CSU, winning in Lincoln, regardless of what anyone says about the, the football team that was a great game and you showed a ton in that in that contest if you can go into Lincoln and win like that you can damn sure go into USC and win this is an opportunity to also show Washington what we are so in the trench that's what separates this ball game if you want to be taken seriously and you want some respect nationally go into USC and beat that ass because everybody thinks that CU is going to lose this ball game and we are we're just we're not real And that is fucking bullshit. So, Buffs are going to beat the Trojans in the Coliseum. I'm fired up if you can't, if you, if you don't know that by now listening to this show, you're crazy. I got goosebumps talking about it right now. So, I I think CU will go in and win, uh, but we'll see. It's going to be a trench fight. And speaking of the trench, 
Uh, we I wanted to bring you a special interview this week. The co-offensive coordinator and the O-line coach for your Colorado Buffaloes, Mr. Clayton Adams, is going to join us here. I'm McChesney Unchained on the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Okay, now listen. This is a great interview. Get something out of it and listen to Coach Adams talk and and, and him, you know, elaborate and praise his offensive line, but also talk about what they have to do to get better and and go win a huge game. So the next two weeks are going to tell us a lot about your Colorado Buffaloes, and uh, it's an honor and a privilege to bring you the great Clayton Adams here on McChesney Unchained on the BSN Denver Podcast Network, and uh, to talk about CU and C or CU and USC this. Saturday night on Fox Sports 1. So here is Mr. Clayton Adams, the offensive coordinator and O-line coach for your Golden Colorado Buffaloes. It's our honor and privilege to welcome in the co-offensive coordinator and offensive line coach for your Colorado Buffaloes, Mr. Clayton Adams, joins us here on McChesney Unchained on the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Coach Adams, my man, what's happening? Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. What's up? How's it feel to be 5-0? and uh, you know, uh, just trying to be one and know this week, but thank you so much for having me. I'm, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Coach, you, you've been there for how long have you been on that staff now? This is my sixth season. Sixth season. So you, you've been there since the beginning. Yeah, you're, you're, you're an OG, as they say. Um, yeah. Just talk about the growth of this program since you walked in. You know, me being an alum and from here, I've I've watched the struggles and, you know, the ups and downs. And you guys won the South in 16 and now being ranked and undefeated. But from where you guys started, I don't think people really understand just how much of an uphill battle this was for the original staff and everything that has – you know, it's matured into what they see now. And, you know, a sold-out Folsom and people really excited about the bus. But just talk about the process over the last six years, man, and, and what it means to be where you guys are now. You know what? It, it's been an incredible journey. Um, and I think there's still a lot of an incredible journey ahead of us in terms of the development of this program just because, you know, um, I can't really speak about, you know, what was going on here before, but I think the program was in a tough spot and some people were starting to kind of lose faith um and it, it was really there there was there, there was a lot of negativity surrounding the program when we got here and um it's it is a process to get things exactly where you want them and with a leader like mike mcintyre um you're going to do things the right way and that's that's what we said from the moment we got here is we're going to build this thing the right way we're going to bring good uh, people into the program that are good football players and we're going to try to ignore uh, the noise on the outside whether it's a recruiting ranking or a, you know fire this guy or fire that guy let's just do our job as good as we can do it and try to not worry about what anybody else is saying um, and there's been some times when that's been really really hard um, and there's been some incredible moments as well uh, but I think that um, we're a long way from being a finished product. Uh, every single team that you have has a different demeanor and a different personality um, and different buttons that you're going to need to hit. And so I think the, the biggest thing for, for us as a program, just being one of the guys that was here from you know the original staff in 2013 is uh, let's just do our job at a really high level every day and let's try to elevate what that high level means to us because you've always got a little bit more than you think you have. Um, so it's been it's been great. Uh, there's been a lot of adversity. There's been a lot of great 
you know, moments, like I said. Uh, but I think that we still got a lot left in the tank in, in terms of what we can achieve here because I think it's it's one of the last great places, um, you know, to, to work at where uh, – it's an unbelievable place to live. It's a college town that's near, you know, a, a major market city. And it's it's also a place that you can get a lot of really great football players to come that I think are, are pretty tough blue-collar guys that are team guys. Amen to that. That's why I went there, brother. Uh, speaking with the co-offensive coordinator and offensive line coach at the University of Colorado, Mr. Clayton Adams. You can follow him on Twitter at Coach Adams, C-U-F-B. Uh, coach Adams, one thing that I love about your coaching style is you don't recruit tackles, guards, or centers. You recruit linemen. You recruit versatile athletes that can play multiple positions, and then you mold these kids to play multiple positions. And this year is a perfect example of this where you're moving guys around and you're comboing lineups and the, the team just keeps getting better and better each week and it matures into this ass-kicking of Arizona State last Saturday and the variety of players you can throw out in the variety of different lineups. So just talk about what you look for in the player and then your thoughts on the developmental pattern once you get them in the door. Well, I think, uh, you know, anytime you're, you're talking about uh, – you know, investing in a person, which is really kind of what you're doing when you're when you're recruiting, is you're saying that I want to I want to be with this person for four or five years. I want this person to be part of our program. I think the very first thing that you have to try to consider is you know character, and, and a lot of that, whether it's character or work ethic or, or mindset, you know, so much of it, in my opinion, evolves around does this person really love football? And um, the recruiting process is is ever changing and some people would describe it as out of control some people think it's really fun some you know there's a million different opinions on it but one of the things that uh, that i really enjoy about it is uh, the relationship building process and that's kind of where the entire thing starts because i think the beginning of it is let's get to know each other and the end of it is watching that guy walk across the stage or uh, whether it's you know getting his degree hopefully in every situation or, or walking across the stage at the nfl draft um or, or becoming a really successful person in life so you've got to this this stuff is way too hard um if you don't love it and so i think you got to find people that really love football particularly with the offensive line position you know i think um I think it's really easy to blame the kids for the way that the recruiting process is. But at the end of the day, uh, it's controlled by us. Um, you know, we do this every single year and the kids go through this once in their life. So I think what you really want to find is is you want to find those kids that, that love being in Boulder, Colorado, that love going to school at the University of Colorado, and absolutely love football. And I think if you have that... Uh, combined with a great skill set, then you're going to have every single thing that you need. What you can't have is you can't you can't find somebody who's fallen in love with the recruiting process per se, and that doesn't happen nearly as much with offensive linemen. But I think that's something that that I try to find is is this guy love getting recruited or is this guy just love football? Amen to that, and that's something we preach here at the gym all the time too, coaches. You know, are you walking in the room to get offered or are you walking in the room to improve as a player? I don't I don't want you if you just want to get offered. I want you if you want to improve. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so okay. Everybody likes the big guys, but you know we don't get enough credit. And two offensive linemen are moving on to the skill players. You're the offensive coordinator at CU. You guys are exploding on offense right now from an efficiency standpoint. Montez is leading the country uh, in completion percentage and efficiency is through the roof. And LaVisca Chanel is, I don't know, the best offensive player I think I've ever seen in my life there. And I played with some really good ones and watched some good ones when I was growing up. Um, what makes these two so special, man? Is it the offensive line in the system or are they just ballers? Yeah, you know, I think those guys are really special people and special talents, um, you know, both from a mental toughness standpoint and from a, a physical ability standpoint. Uh, and I think, you know, the one of the things that you have to do when you have really special players is say, how do we get them to touch it a lot? Um, and I think one of the easy things to do and, and one of the fallacies a little bit in game planning is I got I to have visual confirmation that they're going to be doing this when they play us. And what ends up happening a bunch just having coached in this league for a while now is, is you know, defensive coaches are really smart people. Um, and a lot of times they're going to adjust based on what they've seen. And so what you're seeing on film isn't always what you're going to see in the game. And so I think the safest thing to do when you're trying to put together a game plan is rather than just being completely worried about what you're going to see defensively is try to have a really good grasp uh, at why people are doing what they're doing defensively. And then after that, let's make them react to us. And I, I think that that's been something we've tried to do this year. We're never going to be perfect at it, but um, how can we be creative and get the ball in space to really good football players? Uh, how can we keep the quarterback on his feet and allow him to make plays downfield? How can we create enough space so that a running back can make a play? Um, you know, those are the main things. And I think sometimes people get caught up dialing things a little too tight in game plan, and then it doesn't happen exactly the way that you practice it and exactly the way that you saw it on film and it falls apart. So I think having a great set of base rules and getting your guys to play really, really fast, really, really aggressive with unbelievable fundamentals, I think you give yourself a chance to win. All right, Coach. So <clears throat> you've got the hated USC Trojans on Saturday, moving on from the 5-0 and start. Everybody likes it. I think personally, I know you won't comment on this and I don't expect you to, but 18-19 and 19 at 5-0 and is straight disrespect and and this team is about to show that in the Coliseum, in my personal opinion. It's my job to talk shit. That's what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> so give, give, me your, give me your take on USC and the Trojans, especially up front on the defensive line. I know they got some dudes, and they recruit dudes uh, year in and year out. This is our biggest test up to this point. Talk about going to the Coliseum, man, and, and what's it going to take to get a huge W for uh, Buffalo Nation? You know, I think when you watch them on film, what you see is that they have the ability to play probably eight guys up front, and they're all good football players. So they, they do have good depth. Um, I think their guys uh, do a really good job of studying your pass sets and, and, and trying to, to dissect exactly what your fallacies are um, and, and where you're struggling, and, you know, whether it's with balance or with where you're carrying your hands. I think their guys do a good job of looking at those things. Um, I think that uh, probably the front seven is maybe the strength of their defense. You know, again, just both from a depth perspective, uh, and, and also I think that I think that their their coaches do a really nice job of putting them in position to make plays and try to create one on one matchups and pass protection and one on one matchups in the run game. Um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, it's just it, it's just like any other football game that you're going to play. You got to prepare yourself to be the best version of yourself, and. Uh, 
and and when that ball gets kicked off it's time to go um it doesn't matter what logos on anybody's helmet it's it's a football game and and your job is to is to do your job at a very very high level so you know when whether it's monday tuesday wednesday thursday of the week while we're preparing uh, our job is 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 to be great football players for the University of Colorado. So we're going to try to study pass rush goals. We're going to try to study the fronts that we're going to see. We're going to try to put ourselves in position to be successful in formations and things. But at the end of the day, most people are, everybody runs counter, everybody runs power, everybody runs inside zone. We've got to do it at a high level, and we've got to try to formation some things, but we've got to, we've got to put the players in position to play fast and play aggressive. On the line here with CU Offensive Coordinator and Offensive Line Coach, Mr. Clayton Adams. You can follow him on Twitter at Coach Adams CU Football. All right, last one I got for you, Coach. Uh, you were at Boise when you when you guys ran that hook and ladder, right? That was my last game there as a graduate. I knew it, man. I knew it. Talk, was that the craziest college football play you've ever seen? And, and if not, it, what what is? Miracle in Michigan, what was? Because that was nuts. You know, there were about five plays in that game that were pretty unbelievable. Um, and the whole game in general, you know, I, the, the guys that were on the staff uh, with me when when that when we played uh, Oklahoma in 2006 Fiesta Bowl, a lot of those guys said, I don't remember the game. I never went back and watched it because I just want to remember it the way that I remember it. I, I remember every second of it. And I was in the box sitting behind our offensive coordinator, who's the head coach there now, Brian Harson, And I, I think we jumped out to a 17 nothing lead. And we were kind of pounding them and winning the game. And then we had a, a punt that went off of a gunner's foot. They picked it up. They scored. And then we threw a pick six with about a minute left to put them ahead by seven. And that was when we had to go on that drive uh, and run the the uh, – the hook and ladder play to score and, and and it was it's a pretty funny deal because that's one of those things you run every Friday on air and we couldn't complete the freaking thing on air <laughs> and, Figures. and then you get out you get out in a football game and the thing just goes perfect um, and you know I, I point a lot of those things to the culture that we had on that team and, and uh, the mentality of the players and just the, the competitiveness of them and the way that they handled their business from day to day but uh, then we went to overtime and I think we ran three more trick plays in overtime and they they diced right through us with adrian peterson on the first play of their overtime and we had to convert two fourth downs to get into the end then two-point conversion to win it so it was kind of one of those just they, i mean i'd be surprised at some point if they don't make a movie that's kind of based on that football game that that game was absolutely crazy, crazy things yeah. all right good luck this weekend my man go uh, go give usc hell and i know you will uh big thanks to the offensive coordinator offensive line coach for your golden Colorado Buffaloes, Mr. Clayton Adams. Coach, thank you very much, brother, and uh, go give USC hell. I appreciate it, Matt. Thank you. All right, and that was Mr. Clayton Adams, the offensive coordinator and O-line coach for your golden Colorado Buffaloes. A great interview here on McChesney Unchained from 6-0 Studios at 6-0 Strength and Fitness. Remember, 6-0 Strength is the bridge. That's what we do here. Uh, we, we've got guys getting offered left and right. Roger Rosengarten from Valor got Utah, Nebraska, and CSU in the last week. Uh, Pierce Hawley, quarterback from Lakewood, got uh, Western New Mexico. First offer for the for that for for that young man. Congratulations to Pierce. Uh, Padilla got Georgia the other day. Uh, Colin committed to CSU. Uh, Aiden Nakia Kaykana from from Mullen. 
has gotten Penn State and Ohio State and Notre Dame. I mean, Reese Atterbury was at Ohio State on Saturday. Trey Zoon from Fossil Ridge was at CU. I mean, Austin Johnson is committed to Colorado. Drake Nugent is trying to pick between Stanford and Arizona State and a couple others right now. The list goes on and on and on and on. That's what we do here. This place is The Bridge. Check it out at 6 strengthcom Do not wait. You don't have to ask permission to do you, all right? If you have the desire to go play or you have the desire to go uh, maximize your talent, become the best player possible, that's what we do here. I don't give a shit about scholarship offers. They come as you improve. I care about kids getting better on the daily and learning how to be a pro. You are either going to let football play you or you're going to play the game. So don't get played by football. Learn how to play this game correctly and be a true businessman. Come to the bridge and walk across it at 6 Strength and Fitness. Check it out at 60strength.com. Remember to follow uh, myself on Instagram at 6 Strength and on Twitter at 6 Strength. All right, right off the bat, uh, we're going to talk about the NFL now and get into it. The Wearband Warrior. Uh, right off uh, uh, off the co- top here, if you go to wearbands.com, use the promo code 6020. Uh, it'll get you a 20% discount on the product. Wearbands is an incredible product for lateral athletes and you know basketball, football, fighting. Uh, it's, a, it's a system with a belt and these bands that connect to booties in your shoe, and it, it's incredible. It forces dorsiflexion of your toe, forces you to really drive off the inside of your foot. It forces proper posture and st- makes you stand direct through your core. Uh, it's an incredible system that we use here at Six Zero routinely. My man Dan Schreiber has an awesome uh, company and an awesome product in wearbands. So our wearbands warrior goes to Carson Wentz. Uh, the Eagles tore up the Giants last night um, on on Thursday night football and looked like the the uh, Super Bowl champs that they were last year. I think Carson Wentz finally has all the rust knocked off. Twenty six for thirty six, two seventy eight, and three touchdowns. I think he's finally back. Um, so he's the Wearbands Warrior uh, up to this point. Go to wearbands.com. Use the promo code 6020 for a 20% discount. Uh, the Giants are a shit show. All right. Odell Beckham's comments last week to ESPN, you know, are you happy in New York? Dude, they just gave you 80 fucking million dollars or whatever. And you're like, well, I don't know. That's a tough question. What an asshole. This is exactly why you don't spend this kind of money on some diva fucking receiver. This is why you don't go out and just pour out the, the, uh, the federal reserve for some guy who doesn't really care and doesn't give a shit about anything but himself. Are you happy in New York? They just gave you all that bread and you're not happy. And your team's one in five, and you look this terrible, and you're walking off the field last night with plays to go in the, in the first half, and you, it's just total disrespect. And if I'm Pat Shermer, I'm wondering why in the flying fuck did I leave Minnesota to come to this monstrosity? Eli's got to go. He's at the end of his rope. If I was Eli, I might just retire tomorrow because this is bullshit. He, he he's no one respects him there. Everyone's overlooking him. You got Sterling Shepard freaking out on the on the sideline. They're talking about Saquon Barkley, a guy that's been there for six weeks and is a rookie, as the undoubted leader of the team. What? What? They're cutting Eric Flowers in the middle of the season, which is warranted. He was terrible. Uh, but, you know, they have a lot of high-priced guys on defense that don't play very well. Olivier Vernon can't get on the field because he's hurt, and that sucks. But at the same time, he's got to get on the field. All right, Snacks Harrison can only do so much as a three technique. Their secondary is super leaky. I just, the Giants are so Jacqueline and Hyde to me. I have no idea how they can be that shitty with all that talent. So the only thing it comes back to is they're paying the wrong people. They go out and throw all this money at Odell Beckham Jr. And he obviously doesn't think it's good enough and doesn't respect it, which is unbelievable to me. 
So it, that's pretty confusing. But if you look at the other side of the coin, the Eagles are about as real as they get. They've figured out their problems. They're now 3-3, three and three, and I think they're going to run away with the Eastern Division. The Cowboys and Washington are totally overrated or, or underrated or not rated. I don't know. Who cares? They're irrelevant. Um, you know, if they can find a running game consistently, last night they ran the ball really, really well, and that's why they looked so good on play-action passes, and the completion percentage for Wentz was so high, only 10 incompletions. Um, that's what Philadelphia needs to do. We talked about it on Episode 9 here on McChesney Unchained on the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Run the damn rock. They run the ball. They, it gives Wentz an opportunity to move the pocket and do play-action passes down the field, and they're going to control the time of possession and win the ball game. And it comes down to that for everybody. It's what we're going to talk about with the Broncos here in a little bit. So Philadelphia gets a much-needed win. They're 3-3. Three and three. They're going to move forward and do, do well. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up 11-5 and five and win in the East and hosting a playoff game and being a real hard out in the playoffs. So congratulations to the Philadelphia Eagles last night getting a huge W. Uh, Coach Wilson and that crew – up front, Fletcher Cox and Nada and Bennett and, or excuse me, Derek Barnett and Chris Long and Michael Bennett. They were just beating the absolute shit out of the Giants up front. And, you know, it's what it is. They played really hard. They honored their defensive line coach, Chris Wilson, and what he expects from his guys by, by playing hard for him. And you see what happens. So the Eagles are scary, and they're not going anywhere. So get your mind right, NFC. All right, uh, first game. Uh, or second game, excuse me, the Chargers and the Turds, all right? Uh, Cleveland, I think that the culture's changing. I totally, totally unequivocally agree with Baker Mayfield. Um, you know, Cleveland has an opportunity right now to go beat the Chargers. Now, the Chargers were the first team or the last team they beat before they went on their monumental losing streak before that was cracked this year. So the Chargers are a little Jacqueline Hyde, too. I don't know who they are. They have unbelievably good players, but then they don't really play up to standard. Phil Rivers is a, a good regular season quarterback sometimes. He's so off and on, it's crazy to me how inconsistent he can be and how they can still be competitive. Um, I like Rivers as a quarterback. I think he's a good pro. I don't think he's ever going to win anything with the Chargers, though. I mean, they don't have a home field advantage. Even the games at their soccer stadium in Carson City, those are still away games. Last week it was all silver and black even though they won. So going on the road to Cleveland, or, or excuse me, just playing the Browns, it, Cleveland's so hungry right now just to go win. They don't. I don't really think they give a shit about the playoffs or the Super Bowl. They just want to win a game. And each week they come with this this youthful zest and energy that they just haven't had in the past. And Baker Mayfield is the reason. Chubb, the running back, is the reason. A young a, a young Miles Garrett just killing people off the edge is the reason. You know them buying into Hugh Jackson's uh, mantra and buying in to what you know they want to do in the front office. That's the reason that Cleveland's on this turn. So I think Cleveland beats the Chargers, and I think they do it handily. And, you know, the the Chargers are not the class of the AFC West. The Chiefs are. So we'll see what happens there. But I'm picking the Browns to beat the Chargers and to move forward and have three wins on the season, set their 3-2-1. and one. So let's go, Cleveland. Cleveland rocks, and let's see if the Turds can beat the Carson City Chargers of L.A. All right, Seahawks go to Oakland. All right, Marshawn Lynch uh, gets a chance to go beat up on his old team. Um, you know, the, the Seahawks, the dynasty that could have been – are up and down. The, everything's relied on Russell Wilson and, and what he can or cannot do if the offensive line can hold up or if it cannot. They played a really tight, physical, hardcore football game last week against the Rams and ended up losing late in the game. 
uh, when they couldn't stop a quarterback sneak to seal it. Um, Oakland and Seattle, I anticipate Seattle being able to go on the road and get this W for the simple fact that the Raiders just cannot play defense to save their life. Uh, That said, Russell Wilson, I anticipate him having a huge game because the Seahawks can't rush the passer. Or, excuse me, the Raiders can't rush the passer. Bruce Irvin is not a pass rusher. That guy's a total bitch. I hate the way 51 plays. I'd love to slap his ass around in this in, in my room here at Six Zero Strength because I think he's just a total loafer and just a turd. And if you like him, I'd like lo- love to hear your rationale on why you think Bruce Irvin is good. Um, other than that, the Raiders, they don't have anybody. I think Hurst could be a good pro down the road, their interior defensive lineman. Derek Johnson's old as shit. He's in the middle of the defense. He can't run or really tackle very well anymore. He's in his 15th season. Great player, but old. Their secondary is leaky as hell. They got a bus- bunch of first-rounders in it, but nobody that can play. Uh, John Gruden, again, being criticized for coming out and saying, hey, we need a pass rusher. Well, dumb fuck, you just had a great pass rusher, maybe the best one in football now in Mac, and you gave up. You just shipped him to Cleveland for nothing in the worst fucking trade ever. And they, Oakland just should have paid him, and then they'd have, I guarantee you, they'd have two or three more wins. They probably would have won the Bronco game if they could rush the passer. So... For Gruden to come out and be like, "Hey, we need a pass rusher, bro." You just gave your pass rusher away to the Brown, for, to the Bears for fucking nothing. So way to go, dumbass. Um, I think Seattle goes to Oakland and gets a W, and the misery, the pit of misery, continues for the Raiders. So dilly dilly to you, idiots. Um, the Seahawks, uh, they're not going to finish better than seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seven. They're pretty average. Uh, I do like Tedrick Thompson stepping in and balling out for Earl Thomas when he got hurt, so good thing to see uh, a buff getting an opportunity and running with it. Keep that up, Tedrick, but uh, Seattle's a good football team when they play bad people. Um, they're an 8-8, eight 9-7 eight, team in the long run, probably don't make the playoffs. All right, Steelers and Bengals, uh, the, blad, the bad blood bowl here. Um, the Steelers are, last week, you know, I thought they'd lose to the Falcons, and they didn't. They did a really good job of committing to the run game, giving the ball to James Conner, and letting Ben and the and the receivers kind of feed off of the the time of possession dominance and the, the controlling of the line of scrimmage and the play action. Now, this is a consistent theme that we're going to build up to when we talk about the Broncos, too, because... It, running the football in this league allows you to have huge windows to throw it in down the road or in the game. Now, it's amazing to me that teams still try and throw the ball as much as they do without establishing the run because everything is established off the run game in this league. Everything. And the Steelers decided to commit to the run game, and consequently their offense looked really fluid and they had a lack of turnovers, and they did a good job and won the game and controlled the ball game from start to finish. On the other side, Atlanta got behind, and instead of just keeping their nose to the stone and relying on their game plan and running the ball with Freeman, they panicked and started throwing it all over the yard and turned the ball over and got blown out. It's amazing to me how uh, you know these professional coaches panic as much as they do and totally scrap their game plans and just start winging it. Uh, the Broncos do it a ton, a ton. They did it a ton last week against the Jets, what we're going to talk about here in a minute. All right, so the Steelers have done it in the past. They stayed on their game plan and got a huge victory last week. The Falcons didn't. The Bengals last week, another big comeback against Miami and and showing that ability. The Red Rock and Andy Dalton has done a good job of keeping his team competitive. But I'm going to say this again. I don't give a shit if the Bengals go 15-1. and It means nothing to me. Until Marvin Lewis and that group can win a playoff game, this is a totally irrelevant conversation. It means nothing. 
I do not believe in Cincinnati, and I can't until they win. Win a damn playoff game with that group of guys, and then I'll get on the bandwagon and say that you can play. But until then, I can't do it. I cannot do it. I know you have great players, Geno Atkins, Burfitt, you know, A.J. Green and Joe Mixon and uh, Giovanni Bernard, and you got a good offensive line, and Andy Dalton's playing well. But until you win a playoff game, boys, I cannot take you seriously, although I do think you win this week. So I'll take, I'll take Cincinnati in the bad blood bowl here against the Steelers, and we'll see. But please, Cincinnati, win a fucking playoff game at some point. Jacksonville and Dallas. Now, Dallas has got a – opportunity here for everybody to say look how good their offensive line is and look how dominant Dak and Ezekiel can be even without any receivers Jerry Jones you know old senile ass is coming out saying they haven't had a number one receiver in years I mean Des Bryant was a number one for three or four years stop being a disrespectful asshole Jerry and at some point try and give some praise to the players that have built that fucking stadium for you you dick um, but to be honest with you, that's just total disrespect. Des was a, was a one for three or four years. You don't have to be an asshole all the time, Jerry. We know you are one, but just try and pump the brakes a little bit. It's nice. Um, the Cowboys are going to sit here and try and convince everybody that they can stand up to a team like Jacksonville in this circumstance, but they can't. The Cowboys are the most delusional fan base in the history of fan bases on top of the fact that they always think they can win a Super Bowl, on top of the fact that they always have the best of this or that. The Cowboy offensive line is not what it was. Ron Leary plays left guard for the Broncos. Friedrich is out. All they have there are Martin and Tyron Smith from the original group that was killing people two years ago. You know, Doug Fries retired. So it's not the same thing. It's just like the Broncos defense. That's not the same unit. Not even close. So I think that Jacksonville getting embarrassed like they did last week against Kansas City in Kansas City, I think they're going to walk in against the Cowboys and just beat the shit out of them because they have to. They can't fall two games back in the AFC South. It's too good of a division. Houston's coming on strong. Tennessee's still winning games. And they already lost the game to Tennessee. So Jacksonville's got to get right after last week's Kansas City debacle. And I think they will. They're too good up front not to. Jacksonville puts his puts their defensive linemen in so many one-on-one situations. Dallas isn't going to be able to hold up with that. Dak Prescott's going to be running around trying to save his own life, and it's going to get ugly, real ugly. I think Jacksonville beats the ever-living shit out of the Cowboys, and you've got a lot of questions about whether Jason Garrett should get fired or not. I have no idea how Jason Garrett still has his job. I don't know how Marvin Lewis still has his job. I don't get it. Jason Garrett is like a... I don't know. He's like a Stepford wife, man. He he's always smiling. He's got a fake tan. Not that there's anything wrong with that, other than he. It's just he's Mister Orange. Uh, he's always smiling. Hey, yeah, brother, good game, brother. It's always. It it seems like he's so scripted, and he's simply just a figurehead for Jerry Jones. And maybe that's why Jerry loves him so much because he knows he's never going to get going to get any back talk from Jason Garrett. So the Stepford wife, Jason Garrett, has got to go in Dallas if they ever want to get competitive. It's not surprising to me that the only time the Cowboys were ever really any good uh, in the Jerry Jones era is when they had a coach that would not agree blindly with Jerry Jones all the fucking time. And, and, and look, Jimmy Johnson didn't. He didn't agree with Jerry Jones all the time. They butted heads all the time, and Jerry was such an egotistical idiot that he decided to get rid of him. Barry Switzer didn't have anything to do with that third Super Bowl. Nothing. The players just imagine what happens if Jerry or if uh, if, if Jimmy Johnson stays. They might win four in a row. I don't think the Niners beat him in the NFC title game, 
or excuse me, excuse me. I don't think that uh, the next year after Switzer lost in the playoffs that that, that continues. They might win four or five. Excuse me, because he was still there when when the uh, the Niners got him. So it's a perfect example of not being able to really do your job. Jason Garrett isn't going to be able to really do his job in Dallas because Jerry Jones is the guy really in charge. And Garrett's never going to challenge anything Jerry says because he wants to keep his job. So he's simply a figurehead and a step for wife. I think that Jacksonville beats the shit out of Dallas. And honestly, I'm, I can't wait to watch it. Um, Ravens-Titans. A uh, little you know, This is a bad blood bowl as well. There were some great games in the early 2000s between these two squads. Eddie George and Ray Lewis uh, had some monumental matchups back in the day. Eddie won a no part of Ray. Um, the Ravens coming off a very frustrating loss to Cleveland last week, 12-9. Uh, the Browns came to play. The Ravens are a little Jacqueline and Hyde. Who are they? Although their defense is about as real as it gets. Uh, T-Sizzle, 55, has got them rolling. Eric Weddle's doing a really good job running that defense. C.J. Mosley is one of the best in the business at middle linebacker, even though he's been a little hurt this year. Uh, Harbaugh, super conservative Harbaugh, might have been the reason they lost last week because he's so conservative. You've got a big arm thrower in Joe Flacco and a good running game. You've got to be able to seam people down the field and throw the ball over people's heads. They haven't been able to do that last weekend, but they've been doing it up to the point. So I think Baltimore wins this ball game against Tennessee, but I do think it's going to be a real hard nose, uh, you know, bloody your lip type of game. I'm very interested to watch the matchup of Luan, Taylor Luan, the outstanding left tackle for Tennessee, and Terrell Suggs. I think that's going to be an unbelievable matchup and probably the matchup of the game. Whoever wins that consistently is going to win the ball game. Marcus Mariota has been doing a good job, not a great job. If Suggs can get on him and, and you know ride a bitch's back like Yoda on Luke and get him on the ground, cool. Cool, then Baltimore's probably going to win. If Taylor Lewan can go out there and shut down T-Sizzle and keep him consistent and they can slide away from their left tackle consistently and, and Lewan can beat up Terrell and they can pick up the blitz schemes, Tennessee will probably win. So, again, and I'll reiterate this more too, if you can't slide away from your left tackle in this league, you're going to get your ass kicked all the time, i.e. the Denver Broncos. So I'm going to take – I'm going to take Baltimore in this ball game, although I think it's going to be a tight one. Uh, watch the matchup of Luan and Terrell Suggs. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if Suggs lines up on the other side consistently just to get away from Taylor Luan because he's such a good player. But still, if you can't slide away from your left tackle, you're fucked. And, uh, you know, the Titans definitely can. Luan's one of the best in the business. All right, the Sunday night contest before we uh, get into the Broncos here. Kansas City and New England. Last year, Kansas City walked into New England in the opener and bitch-slapped the uh, the Patriots around a little bit. Um, and everyone was talking about the downfall of the Patriot dynasty and so on and so forth. That never happened, obviously. But they ended up going to the Super Bowl again. Kansas City, this is another opportunity for Mahomes to play an all-time great in a, in a ruckus environment and get a W. You know, in the last three weeks, or, or to open the season, just look at what Kansas City's done. He's beaten... Uh, he's, you know, he balled out in week one and blew everybody's socks off. Then he went and beat Big Ben in Pittsburgh handily. Uh, he's won in mile high twice in his first six starts. Uh, he's beaten last week. He beat the quote unquote best defense in the AFC in Jacksonville handedly. Now he has an opportunity to go to new England and beat Tom Brady. Pat Mahomes is just on this like tour of just, dismantling the the foundation of the NFL and all these all these you know quarterbacks that are supposed to be great and all these franchises that are supposed to be dominant and they are no one's saying they're not 
But Mahomes and the Chiefs don't give a shit. They are simply just walking into places, getting on the field on the gridiron and doing them. They are not really – I don't even think that they're necessarily sitting around worried about the other team. They are worried about what they need to do at a high level in order to win. Now, New England – the no fun, no days off mantra, it works because they have Tom Brady. Tom's got 12 touchdowns. He looked amazing last week as they dissected. Oh, who the hell did they play last week? I don't know. Who gives a shit? But, you know, they've gotten to the point in New England where they look really good. Edelman came back last week and looked good. Gronkowski looked okay. They're trying to find their stride a little bit. Now, they beat the Colts, excuse me. They're on Thursday night. They're trying to find their stride a little bit. They mopped up the Colts, you know, although Andrew Luck had a lot of yards passing against them. They were behind the whole game, and he had to throw the ball 60 times, but still, he did put up good yardage. Um, New England, this is a huge test for New England, and I think that they get their first victory. I think they beat Kansas City at home. I just don't see Bill Belichick allowing the Chiefs uh, any air, he's going to try and suffocate 15 and really put pressure on him. We're going to see if Eric Fisher and that offensive line can hold up. They lost one of their guards to a torn ACL, the doctor, the other day, so they got to replace him. That's going to be a hard go. Um, you know, New England's got an opportunity now to right some wrongs, and the last thing they want to do is lose to the Chiefs with Alex Smith last year in New England and then lose to the Chiefs with Mahomes in New England this year because then people are going to start saying that Andy Reid's got Belichick's number and what happens in the playoffs, and and does New England have to go to Kansas City? That's going to be huge here. Whoever wins this game, Kansas City being Jacksonville last week was huge for Kansas City. Jacksonville's going to have to go on the road in the playoffs. Losing this game, if Jacksonville goes and beats New England at home, New England's going to have to go on the road in the playoffs. It's just what it is. So I think New England gets this W and Kansas City gets their first L, and, and then hopefully the Rams will get their first L and there won't be any more undefeated teams in the NFL. All right, so that's your NFL wrap. And as always, your NFL wrap is brought to you by our brothers and sisters at NeuroXPF.com, Mr. Kyle and Stacy Turley and their unbelievable uh, product and, and company. NeuroXPF.com is, a, is literally the future of medicine. I think it's going to save football. Please go check out the website, NeuroXPF.com. Use the promo code 6015 for a 15% discount. It's also Breast Cancer Awareness Month. There's a huge discount there, 15%. Uh, if you if you type in six zero to support breast cancer awareness uh, and everything they do for NeuroXPF, it's an unbelievable product that I take on the daily, and I highly advise that you do take it. We're the only company, we're the only place in, in the state of Colorado that has it in the storefront. So come on by the facility at six zero Strength down here in Centennial at seventy one oh one South Fulton Street down here in Centennial, and and cop yourself some. It's an incredible product. So from the tinctures to the gummies to uh, you know, the neuro XPF shot that I take every morning just to get my brain warmed up and, and moving forward. I'm telling you, it's an incredible product. I highly recommend it. NeuroXPF.com brings you the NFL wrap. Uh, so we move into the Denver Broncos and the Los Angeles Rams. All right, number one, I told everybody this was going to happen. The scapegoating of players. The fact that Connor McGovern lost his job. I'm not sitting here and defending his play. He didn't play well. He'll be the first one to say it. But he was in here in the lab in 6-0, busting his ass Tuesday morning trying to fix it. So this is what the Broncos do. They did it with Ben Garland back in the day, where they move him from defense to offense. They develop the shit out of him. They watch him work his balls off. Another guy that I worked with, just to cut him, 
and watch him go to Atlanta and become a super versatile piece for them. And he's about to get broke off next year. Now, he's not a perfect player. No one is. So I don't want to hear all this bullshit about how people are perfect. They're not. You're going to get throttled in this league every now and then. The ability to, to rebound and get better off of your throttling is what separates pros from pundits. So the Ben Garland situation was really frustrating. I watched that happen. I'm watching them do it with McGovern now. They developed the shit out of this kid. He's been working his balls off since day one when he didn't dress as a rookie because Clancy Barone's stupid ass, who was the offensive line coach at that point, was just angry at him because he he came from an affluent family of blue-collar dairy farmers in North Dakota. And because he's got money in the bank, his family does, he doesn't think he likes football. Such horseshit. I couldn't believe it when I heard it, and I'm not going to believe it now. And it's not true, because all you had to do was was get Connor motivated, and he was already internally motivated to get better. So he came in here and busted his ass for the last two years to get better. He got his opportunity last year, got on the field, played well. He earned his starting position this year and has played really well and has been the number one guard from pro football focus, graded out in the NFL through the first four weeks of the season. All right, he's running people over in the run game. He's giving great effort. Everybody in the offensive line that I work with, I work with Ron Leary, Billy Turner, Sam Jones, Connor McGovern, and a bunch of other guys. So while they're all in here grinding, they can't believe that Connor's getting benched and scapegoated like this, especially when 72 can fuck up for two years in a row and not get benched ever. And that it's just setting a precedent that you don't. I don't like. I don't. I hate it. I think it's a it's a low class, low character move by Denver to do this to 60. Not because, look, he didn't play well. If they want to bench him because of that, cool. They're trying to shovel all this blame on him just to scapegoat him because that's what they do. It's unnecessary. So not only are you halting the development of 60, but you're making it seem like he's the problem when he's been the best player up front for you up to this point and a guy who's developed and worked his ass off. And he's not going to whine and bitch and moan about it. He's in here on Tuesday morning grinding. He's in here on Thursday afternoon after practice grinding, trying to improve so the problem doesn't happen again. It, it's, it's very frustrating to see a player's coach in Vance Joseph, a guy I played for up at CU and a guy I know well and like. It's very frustrating to see him scapegoat his players like this because he's supposed to be a leader of men and a player's coach. The Broncos, in the Jet game primarily and in the Chief game, have been sliding protection, four- and three-man protection calls to Garrett Bowles. In this game, you cannot slide protect to the left tackle consistently and be successful. It just can't happen. You're going to get killed. Leonard Williams knew that they were slide protecting to Garrett the whole game. There were several circumstances where you've got three offensive linemen blocking two guys where they're bringing the house from the right side. And we can't do anything to change it because the Broncos are so scared shitless about Bowles and his inability to do uh, the little things correctly and block guys one-on-one without holding penalties or giving up sacks and pressures that they have to slide to him plus put a back over there. There were several circumstances where Freeman or Lindsey were two bowls side and they're slide protecting to him. So they're trying to protect Garrett Bowles rather than letting him progress as a player and as a man. You can't protect people in this league. They're going to get exposed. All you're doing is putting other guys out to dry. The fact that they're not slide protecting or hole calling where Paradis can sit back in those, you know, where they have double three technique rushers like the Jets did a bunch, where he can sit back in his, in his uh, after he snaps the ball and sit back and see which one's going to take an inside move. We can't do that to help our guards. We can't slide protect to Leonard Williams, who's one of the best three technique rushers in football, to protect our guards, which is unfucking believable to me. 
So if we can't slide to the right consistently as much as or more that we slide to the left, it's going to be impossible for the guards to jump set people. It's going to be impossible for Ron Leary to really, really be as aggressive as he needs to be at the left guard position. We can't maximize 6'5". And on top of all this, with our problems with protection because of the scheme, not necessarily the players, you're going to get beat. You're going to get beat every now and then. There's too many good players in the National Football League to act like you're not going to get beat. The problem with me is when the coaches don't put the players in position to be successful, I have a huge problem with that because that's their only fucking job. We are here playing checkers, not chess in Denver. I need us to be chess players, not playing checkers. I don't need us out here licking the window on the short bus trying to play fucking chess when in reality you should be playing checkers. This, this team needs to be a chess-driven team where we're thinking three moves ahead, not just sitting there, oh, king me. It's not going to work. We can't line up in the same shit over and over again and just rely on our players to beat theirs. The ability, especially on defense, like when we're in this cover one all the time and we're in zero and one all the time and always playing man coverage, you're going to get torched like this, especially if you can't stop the run. So the inability for the staff to change up and put their players in position to be successful on the offensive line from a protection standpoint, it's all hand-in-hand with the fact that they threw the ball 50 times in the game and only ran it 14. 14 rushing attempts in one game? 14? I don't give a shit if you're down by 50 points. You don't just abandon your, your entire game plan. And it's very frustrating because I'm of the mindset that they practice a lot of things during the week and do not do any of it on game day. I think that defensively they do a lot of different blitz concepts during the week and they throw all these different coverage looks at everyone and then they get into the game and Joe Woods immediately reverts to cover one fence and that's all they run because he's comfortable and he's scared. He's scared about getting beat, in turn getting him beat. I think that the offensive line, I think they, they, they practice a bunch of different things all week, a different, different protection schemes and things of that nature, just to get into the game and panic because Garrett Bowles can't block people one-on-one, and they consistently slide protect to him, and it leaves guys out on an island on other places, and it makes it extremely predictable for defensive linemen. And if you're predictable in your protection scheme, these defensive linemen are going to be able to pick it up their professionals. Just think about when you watch one-on-one pass rush, and I know a lot of fans don't, but I do. When you are doing one-on-one pass rush as a guy who's rushed the passer in this league and protected the passer, I'm telling you, when they know that you're throwing the ball, it is so hard. When they know they're one-on-one and you don't have any help, it is so difficult to do your job consistently correctly. So the Broncos coaching staff has got to change the way they do things. And if they don't change, they're going to get fucking fired. It's not going to be we're going to lose. Everyone's going to lose their jobs. The Rams come in on Sunday. They are a zero-fuck-around team that has Super Bowl aspirations and the roster to do it. Then they have a short-week turnaround going to Arizona on Thursday night. If the Broncos lose to the the Rams and then don't play well in Arizona. And remember this, Josh Rosen came out and said when he got drafted, everybody that passed on me, I'm going to stick my hand up their ass and play him like a fucking puppet when we play just to set the point. And so he's going to do that to the Broncos. He wants to beat that ass because they passed on him. They didn't think he could play, which is crazy to me. I, I definitely think we fucked that up. We definitely should have taken a quarterback. I like Chubb. I like him. He's a great player. But he looked good in Arizona 
red and white, Rosen would look pretty good in that orange and blue right now. I don't think that Case Keenum is the guy for the future. I think he's a guy. I think he's a good backup. I think he could be he could be successful here in Denver if they would support him and run the goddamn ball, but that's not what we do. We're acting like Case Keenum's Brett Favre or Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or some shit, and he's not. We're not supporting him at all. So Rosen is going to look at this and be like, okay, this is an opportunity to go and embarrass a, a franchise that everybody thinks is elite in this game and just put the nail in the coffin from Vance Joseph. If they lose the next few games or they look like shit against the Rams and then squeak out a victory in Arizona, Vance is gone. I wouldn't be surprised if he's fired before he gets on the bus going back to Arizona or coming back from Arizona because then it gives them 10 days to get ready for Kansas City in Kansas City. And if they lose that game, the season's over. So these next three games are going to determine whether VJ is your coach for the future or he's gone, whether Joe Woods is your, co- your defense coordinator for the future or he's gone, whether Billy Musgraves is your offense coordinator of the future or he's gone, whether Case Keenum is your quarterback of the future or he's gone, and then all the other high-priced players on this football team, everyone, everyone, they should be playing their balls off if they want to keep their money and their security and their house here in Denver because I'm telling you, if they drop the next three games and they're on a six-game losing streak, The people in Denver are going to revolt, and there's going to be some serious shit go down. It's not going to be good. I wouldn't be surprised. Look, I was on the sideline when the Charger game happened with the McDaniels era, and everybody left. The entire stadium emptied, and he got fired. I would not be surprised if that happens on Sunday. If the the fans are that unhappy at halftime and shit goes bad, don't be surprised if they just leave. And that is not a good look, man. Mr. Bowen and, and, and Joe Ellis and Mr. Elway, they don't want that shit. Matt Russell ain't looking for that. So th- this is a very tumultuous time for the, for the Broncos. And I hate the fact that the coaching staff is scapegoating the players when you know damn well it's the coaching. It's the fucking coaching. The players can get better, and they will. They've got to improve. They need a foundation mentally to be successful, though. You can't just – I hate the way coaches in this league – and the way franchises treat their players. And the NFL allows it because our, our fucking union is so weak. And that's a different combination, conversation for another day. When you look at the Bronco run defense and what they have to do to be successful, I'd love it if everybody went on to the BSN Top 6 on bsndenver.com and checked it out. I give a breakdown of six plays from the Bronco game in, in the run game and what they're doing wrong and, and how they were just getting dominated at the point of attack, the lack of effort that I saw from the defense, which is apparent if you watch it. Uh, it's twenty nine ninety nine subscription for the year. It's like 3 bucks a, a month, which is an unbelievably good deal if you type in the promo code 60 to give you that deal. So, again, it's the BSN top or it's the 60 top six on bsndenver.com. Go check it out. Sign up. The promo code is 60 capitalized. It'll give you a twenty nine ninety nine rate for the year. And I'm telling you, it is the most educational shit you're going to get. And, uh, you know, and I, I'm very proud of it because I play both ways in this league. I'm a concrete Charlie. So that means that I, I see things a little bit differently. It gives me the ability to really coach people up in here in the lab the way we do, from quarterbacks to safeties to left tackles to pass rushers to three techniques to Mike linebackers to fullbacks to tailbacks. It doesn't matter whether you're Phil Lindsay or, or Ron Leary or Mike Pinnell or whoever. It doesn't mean shit. Everybody's got to learn. So that's what we do here. The run game defense or the run game for the Broncos, 14 carries is not going to get it done. You're not going to control the time of possession. You're going to give the other team a ton of opportunities to wear your defense out. Consequently, that's what happened. The Jets had a historical day where guys are averaging over eight yards a carry, both of them, and they are just piping the Broncos down the field. The 77-yard run by Crowell 
was terrible, but the effort on it on the backside from Von Miller was equally as terrible. So I don't want to hear all this we play hide hard all the time bullshit because it's just not true. Go check out the the plays, and I'll tell you, you will it will open your eyes on what's really happening because you get to see it from the coach's view. Do I think the Broncos can get better defensively up front? Shit, yeah, I do. Do I think that they were unprepared for that ball game? Yeah, absolutely I do. Do I think that they have the ability to go out and change the entire tone of the season on Sunday? Yep. If they go out and win this game against the Rams, everything's forgiven and we're moving. And things are good, but then they have to follow it up with another good game. They can't have these Jackal and Hyde circumstances where they look like world beaters against Kansas City and Mahomes just pulls an Elway in mile high and beats us. And then go to go to an 11 a.m. start against the Jets. Like we talked about last week, the, you know, the inability for them to play well on the road on the East Coast. Go to the Jets and just shit on themselves the way they did. That can't happen anymore. The inconsistency is coaching, not players. The players are just there to do what the coaches ask them to do. If the coaches are always putting them in circumstances where they can't be successful, that's the coaching. If you're not going to leave 30 hours or two days beforehand on the East Coast and you don't think it's a big deal, when historically it's been a massive problem for the Broncos, that's coaching. It's amazing to me that these problems are sugar-coated and all we hear is we had a great week of practice. We had a great week of practice. And then all of a sudden everything's on the players? What? It just it's amazing to me that it's gotten to this point. It's amazing. A player's coach, a leader of men who is throwing his players under the bus and not leading the men. Sucks. The Broncos have an opportunity to right all wrongs and beat the Rams. Goff and Gurley are elite. Andrew Whitworth is elite. I need more from Von Miller. Brother, if you're going to be the best player in the world at your position, you need to act like it every week. You should be doing the same thing Mac is doing. There's a play in the Jet game where on the 77-yard run where if Vaughn runs full speed, he tackles Crowell, and it's not a touchdown. Or at least he has the ability to say, look how hard I'm running. Why isn't everybody else pursuing like that? But he's loafing terribly. He's like he's half jogging. He's not even full jogging. So go watch it. I'm telling you, 6-0 top six, bsndenver.com. Get behind the paywall and do it. 6-0 is the promo code to give you a discount. Go check it out and tell me I'm crazy. Remember, you can follow the show at BSN Unchained and then at 6-0-Strength on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow the show at BSN Unchained on Twitter. Um, the, the Rams are going to win this game, uh, unfortunately, in mile high. I think the Broncos will play inspired, and I think they'll play hard, but I don't think they're going to win. And then there's going to have to be some decisions made, man, because it's a short work week going to Arizona. Arizona's not good, but they're damn sure not bad, and the Broncos aren't very good either. They're going to be sitting at 2-4. and four. The Cardinals are probably going to be 1-5 and five or 2-4 and four the same. Both teams trying to get right, although Arizona's been winning games and improving with the young quarterback, where Denver's has been losing games and getting worse with a veteran quarterback. Uh, Case Keenum's not the guy for the Denver Broncos. He's a good player if we run the ball consistently and support him like Minnesota did last year. Mike Zemmer, the defensive-minded coach that he is, who Vance Joseph worked for, which is amazing to me, which he doesn't understand this. Vance doesn't. Supported Case Keenum constantly by throwing the ball in play-action circumstances and bootlegging and running the shit out of the football. Minnesota had the second-most rushing attempts in football last year. The Broncos... The Broncos, I mean, listen to these numbers, okay? Listen to this. The Broncos have 123 runs to 192 throws. It should be switched. 
I understand that they have receivers and they have guys that can catch the ball, but they have a quarterback who needs to run the ball and play action in order to be successful. This three-wide receiver 11 set where they're three-by-one and they're trying to throw the ball over the field like he's Aaron fucking Rodgers is not working, and it's making the offensive line look terrible because they're exposed all the time because we can never max protect. I haven't seen us bootleg ever, and Case Keenum is the consummate bootleg quarterback. He was bootlegging the shit out of people in Minnesota last year, and it worked great. It's like we 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 signed Case Keenum, and then we were like, Case, this is what you are, but this is what we're going to make you, and that's ego. The inability to change things is insanity. I don't understand it. You need to run the ball three times more than you throw the ball here in Denver with Case Keenum. It needs to be a Tim Tebow offense. Run the fucking rock down people's throats, and you'll be successful. But they just benched their best run blocker in Connor McGovern, which is ridiculous to me. How does he get benched? And Bowles keeps his job. The scapegoating has begun. It is going to get terrible on Sunday post game if they lose. Hopefully they win. I'm praying to God that they figure this out and can win a game in mile high and, and give L.A. their first loss. Because if they don't, you're going to have a quick turnaround to the Cardinals. There's going to be a lot of, of uh, frustration from the fan base because it's going to be, we had a great week of practice, everybody's flying around, we made some changes, it didn't work out, but the players have to play better. That's exactly what Vance going to say if they lose. And the, the franchise and the fan base are going to freak the fuck out because it's a, it's a cop-out, it's not real. So the scapegoating has begun. Let's see what happens moving down the road, but I don't think the Broncos can beat the Rams at home. Um, just the, the matchups are a problem. The matchup with Sue and Darnold inside is a problem on our guys. And it would be a problem if Connor played. If Connor was starting at right guard, it would still be a problem. Paradis and Leary are going to have their hands full. You know, Billy Turner at right tackle played really well last week, played really well against Kansas City. He's got his handfuls this week with Quinn, the pass rusher that used to play in Miami. They played together down there, so he knows him a little bit. But Billy's been really good up to this point. Uh, Bowles, this is a huge opportunity for Garrett to go out and, and get better. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to work with 72 in this room if he'll ever come in. So, Garrett, I'll say it again for the, for the last time or for the next time. Brother, get your ass in this room so we can help you. Your teammates are in here. We can help you too. So the Broncos have a, a long, hard look in the mirror here. They've got to look in the mirror and say, who are we and who do we want to be? And do we like where we're at? Are we comfortable where we're at? Because the players, I'm telling you, if you guys don't figure this out and figure out a way to get better, uh, half the roster is going to be gone next year. You're going to be looking at a totally different team with a new coach and a new philosophy, which may not be a bad thing at this point. But it's going to force rebuild instead of reload. I think that this is the second year in a row the Broncos have severely overestimated what they have. And, you know, they think that they're a playoff contender a potential team and a contender and they're just not now I can my mind can be changed because I still remember the Kansas City game and how good they looked I remember the Seattle game and the 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 zest and zeal and the comeback and how hard they played and how good they looked remember the Oakland game when they looked terrible but then they showed me a real hard-nosed ass-kicking team in the second half that came back they almost had the W against Kansas City after the Baltimore debacle but they still didn't look terrible against Baltimore until the second half and then they went out and shit all over themselves against the Jets, and I think it's more coaching than players, personally. So we'll see what happens. This is episode 10 of McChesney Unchained on the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Remember to follow the show at BSN Unchained on Twitter and at 60Strength uh, on Instagram and Twitter. I'm your host, Matt McChesney. Thank you to our sponsors, NeuroXPF and WearBands. Make sure you go on WearBands.com, NeuroXPF.com. Check out both. 
And then 60strength.com. Go check out the bridge and everything we can do to help uh, the young athlete that needs it. If you're looking for that opportunity at the next level or looking for uh, great classes or personal training, whatever else, we do it all here at 60, including boxing and MMA stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's that. Great show on episode 10. Uh, great interviews. And we will bring you episode 11 next week and wrap up the Broncos and the Buffs. So go to L.A. and let's get a big W for your Colorado Buffaloes. And let's see if the uh, Broncos can beat the L.A. Rams as well. So it's the Battle of L.A. The Buffs and the Broncos taking on the Rams and the hated Trojans. This is McChesney Unchained, and we're out.